Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Pretender or contender or somewhere in between, where would you describe yourself? As someone who looks like they know the faith but really don't, the root system's not very deep at all, or deeply knows the faith and is actively putting that faith in the marketplace, is actively putting that faith in conversation. Paul uses this word contend to describe his efforts, his labor, his work. Here with the church at Colossae and and Laodicea as well, he mentions. And I I think it's a fitting word for where you and I find ourselves because what I've tried to do for almost three years now as your pastor is help you see the war that you're in. Help you understand the nature of the battle that you're in and not be soft to it not be naive to it, not slough it off, not think it's insignificant. It is significant. And the war that you and I are in are for the, and Paul understands this too, we'll look at this in just a minute, it's for the battle of our minds. It's for the battle of our hearts. It's not for so much our income or or even what's in our textbooks. Or it is those things. It's about political things. It's about taxes. It's about a lot of things. And it's about what's in, what, what's in our te- it's, it's about all those things, but centrally, it's this it's this struggle between the enemy and the believers in this world. And that struggle is going to continue, and that struggle is really only going to intensify the more the Lord tarries His coming. The latter Matthew speaks to that in the latter days that this war will become intense. It'll become more ferocious than it's ever been. Are we ready for it? Are we are we are we waging war? Wisely, are we shooting arrows into places they need to go? And are they hitting the target? I hope, you're, uh, I hope you don't stand at the end of your days. And um, as, as I thought about the title of this message, I can't even remember the movie. One of you guys will remember it, I'm sure. And I think it's Robert De Niro in this movie that says, I could have been a contender. And, you know, he's, 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 a, he's a boxer. The movie's about boxing. And, 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 and he's, he, he's he, Raging Bull. Yeah. The movie's about boxing, and, and you know he's 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 kind of buffeting against the wind almost, and he and he finally gets gets down and realizes you know I'm at the end of my career, and I could have been a contender, and I hope that's not your story and my story. I hope we're not. I hope we don't wind down our days spiritually, whether God whether Jesus comes back next week or 150 years from now. Don't think it's going to be that long, but I hope we don't wind our days down wishing we could have contended more. Wishing we would have noticed the nature of the battle and would have been more effective in it. Would have won more battles. We know we win the war ultimately because we know who wins. We know the outcome. This book tells us that story. But the battles that we, we wage daily, we could have won more probably. So what I want us to do is, is to recognize that again. That, and he, that's what he's trying to get this church at Colossae to see. To, to recognize how to wage the war they're in and what a contender looks like. But also... Um, I think what's been, what, what is a benefit for you and I to see is there's a generation behind us that needs to contend harder than we have, have to contend. Because it's, as I said earlier, this world's not getting lighter, it's getting darker. 
It's not getting more susceptible to the message of the gospel. It's getting less susceptible to the message of the gospel. Growing more intolerant with what you and I believe, what you and I hold dear. And so the generation behind us will have to have deeper roots than we have. They'll have to have sharper instruments than we have to fight with. Their shields will need to be stronger than ours are. And it's so important that you and I understand the, the war that we're in and the, and, and the enemy for who he is, recognizes the enemy for who he is, recognizes his ways and what he does, and not only live that today, but pass that down to the generation and generations who are coming behind us. So let's read this text here and, um, and glean from it what contenders look like, and then we'll, at the end, look, do we look like that or not? I mean, is that, does that describe me or is that describing somebody totally foreign from me? Verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to God's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. All right, four things I want us to see here that are synonymous with contenders. Folks who understand the war and are waging it effectively. The first one is this. Contenders are motivated by suffering. Verses 24 speaks to that. Now I rejoice. He uses the word rejoice and uses this phrase, I fill up. In essence, I rejoice for and I want to fill up in my flesh these afflictions of Christ. I rejoice in suffering and I fill up in my flesh even more suffering, even more hardship, the afflictions of Christ. Why? So that I can understand him better. So that I can understand his nature and his ways better. So that I can see that in essence suffering is not about me. But it's about me becoming like him. It's about reshaping my thoughts. Reshaping my attitudes. Reshaping my desires to where they look like his. And sometimes suffering is the only vehicle to that end. We've heard a lot recently, especially since the, uh, the shooting in Connecticut. You've heard this phrase bantied about probably before then, but certainly since then. The phrase, the new normal. Is this the new normal? Is this, what, is this what we've become now? Is this the... And, boy, I hope that's not the new normal, don't you? But there are, there is, the values are attempting to be reshaped in our culture. And you and I, as we stand against the reshaping of those values, or for them when they're right, there's going to be some suffering involved. There's going to be some persecution involved even more in generations to come than than you and I are experiencing today. And we're experiencing virtually no persecution at all other than it is is our culture's desire that our witness be marginalized. 
and that our voice be squelched. Why? Because we're a bunch of radicals. I mean, these followers of Jesus, you gotta, we're a bunch of radicals. You need to watch out for us. Um, pretenders want usually one of two things to happen in suffering. They either want immediate understanding, they want enlightenment, or they want escape. Pretenders do. They want to understand what is this about, and I want to know what it's about right now. Or, I want out. I don't care what it's about. I'm not interested in the lesson. I've gotten enough lessons in life. All I'm interested in is out. Wherever, where's, the, where's the door? <coughs> Excuse me, I want to go out. My only interest is out, not what's going on in me. But Paul says here that suffering is a means to an end. It's not the end. It's a means to understanding him better, his, him, in him, Christ, his afflictions, understanding that his walk on earth was not about him, but about us. And our walk on earth is not about us, but about him. The quicker we see that, the quicker we understand Christ's afflictions, the, 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 the constant mocking, the constant questions by the Pharisees, even before this process of, 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 of trial and, and mock trial and crucifixion and murder basically took place, even before all the legal work took place, he was in the public square maligned and ridiculed. And there were these questions that were going on behind everywhere he taught. Do you really believe it? By the Pharisees and Sadducees that would follow him around and try and trip him up and try and trick him. So not only did he deal with these kinds of things daily throughout the three years of his ministry, he dealt with them severely. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago in his death for us on the cross and what the significance of that and the significance of, of all of his blood being shed for us, not just part of it. So these afflictions, you understand, give us a better view of who he is. That's what suffering is to do in our life today. It's to give us a better view of who he is so that we can better understand him and our lives can more readily look like, connect with, and identify with him. So, suffering is designed to motivate us. Pretenders think it's about, well, really all they're in it, they're not really caring what it's about. How do I get out? Contenders, they understand it's about something deeper. It's about something more. Um, How is that? That brings us to our second point here. Contenders are enlightened to the mystery. Look at 25 to 27. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but now is disclosed to God's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Here it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Emmanuel. God with us, God in us, all of who he is, all of his holiness, all of his godliness, all of his righteousness in us. How? In the form of Christ. How? By way of his spirit. Now, uh, if you don't have your Bibles, this text will be on the screen. I, want, I think this is important enough for you to see and probably several places here you want to draw an under, underline under this description. Go to, go to 2 Corinthians. Turn there if you have your Bibles. If you don't have them. As I said, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, the, the words will be on the screen, or the text will be on the screen. But I want you to see this description of the very thing he's talking about. This Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here is the greatest and most explicit description of that in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We do, however, speak a, a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. no. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. 
For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived. These things God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us, watch this, by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And our world does. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who can instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is it possible? His Spirit takes up residence in us. That's how that's possible. And his spirit guides us into all things of God, as these passages have said. This hope of glory, your enlightenment, your hope, comes from his word. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the hope? The hope we have is being with him that we just sang about a a few minutes ago. This hope, it it contains with it, um, and it comes basically so that they can see the word in you. See Christ in you. The hope of glory. How is that significant from you to others? Well, you don't have to try. Once you understand this principle, evangelism, living out your faith in a a public way, learning to conversationalize your faith with others, once you understand this basic principle, he is in me. He takes up residence in me. I have all of God in me. He's not out there somewhere. I don't get him when I go to church. I don't get him when I'm reading. He's in me if I have a relationship with him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But if I have a relationship with him, if I pray to receive Christ, he is all of who he is, is in me. So the effortless part comes then when he comes out on his own, in my conversation, in my walk, in my thoughts, in my attitudes, in my decisions, in my priorities, in my values, in the things that matter to me and the things that don't. And those in my world around me see those kinds of things. They see those differences. They see there's, there's something different about this individual than the way I think. What is that? It is Christ in them. It's not them. It's the Christ in them. So that we, we shouldn't, at least, have to conjure up evangelism. We shouldn't have to do it on Tuesday nights when we go door to door knocking on people. We shouldn't have to do it. It ought to grow out of the natural outbirth of our conversation, of our faith, of what's going on in our church, of going on in our Bible study, about what God's showing us through his word, about those kinds of things. Our money is balancing better. My relationships are better. My why is that? It's because I'm giving those things to him. I realize all of me belongs to him. He's, he possesses me. He comes in to reside, and I become his possession. Once I realize I belong to him and I'm his, it does several things. As I said, it makes easier th- this, this thing of living him out. And it also makes easier this thing of understanding I, I, I'm no longer mine, and I'm no longer responsible for me. My health my attitudes, my, my finances, my, my relationships, my marriage. He is responsible for that. He's responsible to hold those things together. Now, I'm responsible to be obedient to him. 
But he is responsible then to hold those things together. Why? Because he comes to live in me, takes up residence in me. That's this great mystery that he's talking about in these verses. And you and I who know him, who have a relationship, have been enlightened to that mystery. Why? Because the Spirit has come to live in us. And the Spirit in us says, yes, that's true. As you, as you read through verses like this in Colossians, and as we read a while ago in, in 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit says, yes, that's true. That's absolutely true. The Spirit in you says that, yes. And confirms to your heart and to your mind these very things. That's how you know His presence is there. So it's not about letting more of Him in. It's about letting more of Him out. He's already in. We're enlightened to the mystery. Thirdly, contenders are moving toward maturity. Look at verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of, watch this, complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, that's what maturity does. Why does Paul contend and fight, in essence, as he's saying here in the, in the last verse of chapter 1, verse, verse of chapter 2, why does he contend, why does he labor, why does he fight, why does he stay at it, why does he stand so firm? He understands what you and I need to understand. He already gets what you and I need to, to digest and know, and that is there's a battle every day being waged for your mind. Every day. A battle being waged for your mind, being waged for your opinions, being waged for the things you think are good, bad, right, wrong. There's value systems being defined every day or attempting to be defined every day by the enemy and this culture. He understands that. He understands the battle of our mind. That's why maturity is such a vital part, an integral part of a person who who wants to be a contender, who wants to walk consistently in faith with him. We need to understand the battle for our minds, the battle that's being waged around us every day. He says, all the wisdom and knowledge, verse 3, you need is found in a person. And I'm going to tell you what the enemy wants you and I to think tonight. In fact, he's won a lot of these little small battles with us. Because what the enemy wants us to think is that all the wisdom and all the knowledge is found in the next, not the one I just experienced and finished, but the next Bethmore study. That's where all the wisdom and knowledge is. It's It's in the next one. And all the wisdom and knowledge is found in the next study of Colossians here that Tim's going to teach. All the, everything I need to know, every, all the wisdom that I'm still lacking and all the knowledge, is, it's found in the next thing. It's found in the next experience, in the next service, in the next conference, in the next book, in the next conversation. It's found in the next thing. It's what the enemy chews us up with. Even in the next service, you know, I, I'm... I'm not contending well because I'm not serving God enough. I'm not, I'm not busy enough in the church. I'm not busy enough in the community. I'm not, I'm not contending the way I need to contend. I'm not thinking the thoughts that I need to think because I'm not busy enough. I need to do more for the church. I need to do more for God. And he sucks us into this vacuum. That, and we're willing, we step along willingly thinking we're doing the right thing. When it's not found in the next thing. It's not found in the next service. It's not found in the next, in the next book. In the next song, in the next message, it's found in a person. All the knowledge we need, all the wisdom we need is found in a person, he says here. Now, the quicker you and I get that, the more battles we win every day. Because the less we, we believe that the enemy's saying, you know, 
if you'll just, if you knew a few more verses, just a few more in Romans, go ahead. If you knew just a few more verses and you had just a, and over and over and over that argument goes, it's always the next thing. It's always a little more. It's always a little, if you just gave a little more money, if you showed up at church a little more often, if you, and we think it's always around the next corner. And we're buying into the garbage because it's all, it's all religious stuff for the most of us is, who are believers. He says, I just want you busy. And I want you thinking it's around the next corner. As long as I've got you thinking it's around the next corner, I've got you. Because you never think you're there. You ne- never think you have anything of value worth listening to. Never think there's anything in your own personal story that God can use. I've got you. As long as you think it's next. As long as you think you don't know enough today. And I'm going to tell you that's a lie from the enemy. And we can win far more battles than we're winning daily from him, can seize those from him. We already know we win the war. We can win more daily battles and contend more heavily with him if we understand that all the wisdom and all the knowledge we, we need are found in a person. And that person is in us. Now, you'll never hear me say, ignore the pages of this book. You'll never hear me say, ignore an, another Bible study. Or you'll, you'll never hear me say, ignore service to the kingdom. Those are fine things. There's nothing wrong with them. Don't stop doing them. But don't think those are the means to the end. The means to the end of understanding, the means to the end of knowledge, the means to the end of wisdom are found in a person. And that person is in you if you know him, have a relationship with him. The enemy wants us to think it's external. He always has, he always will. But what you and I need to know is it's internal. He is in us. Now, fourth thing is this. Not only are contenders motivated by suffering, enlightened by the mystery, and moving toward maturity, but, but contenders are grounded in discipline. Grounded in discipline. Look at verses 4 and 5. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul is saying in these verses that the opposite of discipline, the opposite of discipline is deception. Don't let anyone deceive you with fine-sounding arguments. You know how you sift through the fine-sounding arguments? You know how you sift through the, the slick talk? Cut to the substance of what is in you and let the spirit in you discern truth from a lie. Regardless of what the presentation is like, cut through the presentation and get to the substance of it. We are oftentimes misled and deceived. Why? Because we are undisciplined in our walk. We're undisciplined toward the mature things. We're undisciplined in thinking that it's around the next corner, it's around the next study, it's around, and we're listening to the enemy and we're buying the lie from him over and over and over again. The more disciplined we are, the less deceived we are. If you find yourself in deception with him and playing these games with him on a regular basis of, is God in that or is he in this? Let me examine this for a while and then I'll go chase that for six months. And then the enemy will tell me, no, he's over here. And I go chase this for six months. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking all these external things is where God's at. No, he's in me. He's in me. And can he be found in our Sure he can. But I don't find him. I don't go looking for him over there. That's the outgrowth of what he's doing in me. He's in me and wanting out through me to some of these other areas. Now, the deceiver, though, and he's good at it, and he's incremental. You notice how incremental the enemy is? He never comes knocks on the door and says, hey, uh, why don't you go be a drug dealer? Let me, let me get you to go have an affair. Let me. No, he never does that. Never does that. He works on us incrementally. And he starts by saying, that isn't so bad. 
You know why? Because that person you've had respect for has been dabbling in it. They're not so bad. In fact, God's used him before, hadn't he? And, and on and on these arguments go. And the, and, the, and the deception starts to come with we start rationalizing the arguments, arguments from the enemy with the behavior of us and our friends and our culture. And we start to see those things. Well, wow, maybe they didn't all that bad. Maybe there are areas of gray. Maybe it isn't all black and white, right and wrong. Maybe we need to absorb more, tolerate more than we... And it's, it's incremental. It's never knocking on your door and says, here it is. You want to go? You want to go be this? No, he doesn't do that. He takes it a step at a time. And sometimes, sometimes it's a step a decade. I'll take a step this decade and a step another decade. And four or five decades down the road, here I am thinking, that's okay. And it's not okay. It was never okay. And how did I get here thinking this is right, thinking this is okay? It's incremental. That's the way he works. He deceives us a step at a time, conversation at a time, a little exposure at a time, deceives us. What's the... Antithesis of that, discipline. Walking daily with him, understanding he is in me, he wants out. How do I understand him better? I, understand, I, I glean his word, I, I digest his word, it comes out, he resonates his word with his spirit in me, and that comes out in my conversation, it comes out in my relationships, it comes out in what I do with my time, it comes out in what I do with my money, it comes out in my marriage, it comes out in every arena of my life. It comes out of the cracks of my life. And it's really almost effortless if we're disciplined in that direction. The sum of my pursuits in life and your pursuits in life um, need, need to stack up to more than the things we've done. The sum of our pursuits need to focus attention on someone, not on a bunch of things or a bunch of accomplishments or a bunch of education or a bunch of whatever They need to sum to a person. They need to sum to an individual. That individual is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, a lack of discipline in our culture has had pretty serious consequences and is having pretty serious consequences. Here's just a few things that I jotted down. Because we lack discipline... Our nation is over $16 trillion in debt. Because we lack discipline, the average family carries 30000 plus of debt outside their mortgage. Because we lack discipline, there are more children on Ritalin and more people on psychotropic meds and antidepressants than ever before in history. Because we lack discipline, we're more concerned with our children's self-esteem than we are their sense of morality, their sense of right and wrong. Because we lack discipline, the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been and growing. Because we lack discipline, marriage and family are being redefined and we're allowing it. Because we lack discipline, teen pregnancy is increasing every year. Because we lack discipline, we're seeing more abortions per year than we're seeing professions of faith in Christ in a year. Because we lack discipline, Children are being gunned down at schools. Because we lack discipline, we've stopped saying no. And I'll have more here on this, but in essence, we've stopped saying no. We've stopped saying, that's wrong. Not going there. Not only is it wrong for me, it's wrong for all of us. Why? Because it's contrary to God's word. 
And if something's contrary to God's word, it's wrong for all of us. And we need to take a stand there. Um, right is right. Wrong is wrong. There, is some, there are some, a lot of black and whites in this world that's getting grayer and grayer and grayer. But the key to that, the key to our seeing that in the marketplace, in the workplace, in wherever, the key to our seeing that is the discipline with which we live. And the discipline with which we approach this mystery that he is in me. He's in me. I don't have to go looking for him over there. I don't have to go to church to look for him. I don't, have to, I don't need another message. I shouldn't need another book, another song, another Beth Moore study. Another, what I really need, I have in me. Now, these things embellish the Christ in me. They give me greater understanding. They give me greater opportunity to grow. But I've got, I've got all I really need in me. All the wisdom of God, all the knowledge of God, verse 3, is in me. It's in him. And he's in me. Talks about in um, the latter part of verse 5 here, our firm faith. I'm, I'm present with you in spirit even though I'm absent, he says. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. Delight to see how disciplined you are in walking with him and how firm your faith is. And that's what I want us to close with is how firm is your faith? If you rated it on... Scale of 1 to 10, how firm is your faith tonight? Is it firm enough to um, endure suffering and not run from it? Is it firm enough to, to lose a relationship that's been important to you because that relationship's pulling you down? Is it firm enough to endure sickness, whether the sickness is physical in some cases or and I, I should have in our prayer time asked you to pray for Rick. Probably some of you wondering where Rick is and why you had, had to endure my worship tonight. And Rick's sick. He's got the flu on top of these abdominal things that he had that I shared with you last week. And, and he's really under it and needs our prayer. Um, but do we, is our faith firm enough to endure sickness? Whether the, the sickness is physical, whether it's, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, whether it's marital. Sickness comes in all kinds of forms. Is our faith firm enough to endure that? To stand firm and walk through that? Is it firm enough to endure loss? Loss of a marriage? Loss of a loved one? Is your faith firm enough to endure that? How firm is your faith? These are, these are just instances that come in usually about every person's life. Everybody faces adversity. Everybody's going to face loss sooner or later. Our faith, though, should grow firmer in the loss, firmer in the suffering, firmer in the hardship than without it. That's why Paul starts his passage by saying, I rejoice in this. Why? Because he sees the end of the game. He sees a firmer faith. He sees more of a Christ in me and through me, out of me to others that I would never see apart from suffering, apart from understanding Christ's afflictions. I understand him more when I understand the, the road he walked for me. And I wonder, what, mine should be easier than that? Where did I get that thought? Where did that come from? That my walk should be easier than his. Our, the firmness of our faith, um, here as we close, determines the fierceness of our fight. And I don't know where you stand. I don't know whether you stand here tonight thinking, huh, I don't have any more fight. Uh, you know, I don't have any more fight for this or against that or against this relationship or against this job or against the... I don't have any more fight. What I would submit to you is go back to these same principles. 
Go back to these principles. Go, go, go back and look at suffering. Go back and look at this mystery of him in me. Go back and look at the, the importance of maturity and understanding that all the wisdom and all the knowledge is found not in something, but in him, in a person, and he is in me. And the discipline that it takes for me to, to allow that out of my life daily is something that firms up my faith. And so if I've lost the strength to go on, if my faith isn't firm enough that my fight's very fierce anymore, something needs to change. Why? Because I'm still in the war. Whether I feel like fighting tomorrow or not, I'm still in the battle. I'm going back, that, back out there to fight. I may feel like tonight, last night, the night before that, go ahead and win. Because I've been defeated before, what's another defeat? What I want you to hear is he calls us to stand and contend. He calls us to recognize and, and wage the war that's worth waging against the enemy that's coming after us. Not just to get us off track. Not just to make us dormant. He's coming, the scripture says, to devour you and I. He wants us annihilated. He wants us gone. Not just sitting over here being quiet. Now that's a good start. But his ultimate goal for you and I is not solitude. It's gone. It's wiped out. That's his goal for you and I. The consequences of the war are pretty significant. The need for you and I to contend is pretty significant. And I, I hope you and I don't stand, as I said earlier, at the end of our, as our life winds down, thinking, I could have been the contender. I could have done more. I could have fought harder. We need to fight harder today. We need to fight harder for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, for your grandkids, for the culture that you live in, for the neighborhood that you're growing up in. For the, we need to fight for your church. There needs to be some contention. And the contention doesn't have to offend our culture. I'm not saying let's, let's, you know, grab the biggest Bibles we can and start beating everybody over the head with it. No. The, the, the nature of the fight is often found in love and found in how, we love, how well we love others and how well we love them to him. But, boy, we can't go away. We've got to be tenacious in that. There's got to be a sense of fierceness that that is vitally important. In fact, it's eternally important. The consequences of this war are eternal. They're not just me getting beat up today. They're eternal. And the quicker you and I realize that, I think the greater we're going to contend. And I long for a firm faith for us. Why? Because I know what the enemy's like. (laughs) I know the darts he throws. I know the incrementalism that he uses. I know the slickness that he comes across with. We need to be contenders. We need to to see the, the, the fight we're in and declare ourselves we're in. And not just in, I'm all in. Whatever it takes, I'm in. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.